Psalm 119, beginning at verse 89. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Thou didst establish the earth, and it stands. They stand this day according to thine ordinances, for all things are thy servants. If thy law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for by them thou hast revived me. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider thy testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection. Thy commandment is exceedingly broad. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for who you are. You are our king forever. You are our Lord, and we bow before you, we submit to you, and recognize that you are the one in control. And Father, if that's not the case, that we have not surrendered our lives to you, I trust, O oh God, that we would do that now, that we would do that through the preaching and teaching of your word, that we submit to you and live our lives for your glory and honor. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the great privilege we have to love you, the one who is perfect, the one who never fails. Help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we come before you now and ask that you would use your word in our lives to cause us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. I think we have a visitor for the first time that Cyrus did not acknowledge. So, Nyla is up there, Amber and Ryan's daughter. So, first time visitor, can you get her to wave? All right, so I can see her. Good. Good to have you with us. As a parent, who did not have a swimming pool, I enjoyed a toy called Slip and Slide. Only old folks know about that. But I remember on one of my daughter's birthday, before she was a teenager, uh, we got a slip and slide and put it in the backyard. It's one of those long plastic sheets, and you wet it, keep water on it, and the goal is you start at the beginning of it, and you just go sliding on down to the end of it. And hopefully you don't slide too far and hurt yourself or damage yourself. But slip and slide was a great toy uh, for those uh, who didn't have swimming pools. But when it comes to slip and slide, it's no fun at all and not intended for the Christian life. God does not expect us to go through the Christian life slipping and sliding. Uh, Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, he commanded them to stand firm in the Lord. 
And then when he was writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3.8, he says, if, uh, he said, we live if we stand firm in the Lord. So it's clear from a Christian perspective, we are to be living lives that are stable, lives that are firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just for Christians, but in the Old Testament, uh, there were writers who spoke about stability, not sliding. In Psalm 73, Asaph, as he was thinking about the prosperity of the wicked and how they were doing so well, and he seemed like he was not doing well, he said in Psalm 73, verse 2, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. And then he goes on to say, my steps had almost slipped. And then the writer of Psalm 66, verse 9 says, that God is the one who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. So this is a theme in Scripture, that God wants us to be stable, spiritually stable. He does not want us to be slipping and sliding, so to speak. In our message last Sunday from Psalm 119, verses 81 to 88, we saw that the psalmist was almost slipping and sliding as he was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Things were hard for him. Things were difficult for him. And he almost started slipping and sliding. But he clung to the word of God, and that helped him. Today, in the passage that we're looking at, the psalmist is no longer in the shadow, walking in the shadow of death. He's now on the mountaintop. And as he's on that mountaintop, he speaks of spiritual stability. He speaks how he's standing firm and stable because of who his God is and what his God has done. And so as we look at our text today, we see two foundational truths that if we act upon them will help us to live securely and be stable in our walk with God. Two foundational truths that will help us uh, live a life where we're not slipping and sliding, but instead we're standing firm, we're stable when it comes to our walk with God. And these two foundational truths basically provide us with the subject of our text. And that subject is faithful God, sufficient word. And if I could etch anything in your mind today from this passage, the thing that I would want you to walk away with is the faithfulness of God and the sufficiency of God's word. The first foundational truth that the psalmist provides us with is the faithfulness of the God of the word. The faithfulness of God. We sung about it. At least some of us did. We sung about great is God's faithfulness. That's one of the classic hymns of the Christian church that proclaims how faithful and trustworthy and dependable our God is. Great 
It's not just that he's faithful, but great is the faithfulness of God. And several years ago, when we celebrated one of our church anniversaries, and when we also had Family and Friends Day, I preached a sermon entitled, Great is God's Faithfulness. And I don't bring that up expecting you to remember it, because I don't remember it. So I know you don't remember it. But I bring it up to let you know that I preached that message based on verses 89 through 91. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, looking at these verses. I'm just going to summarize them. And in those verses, we have the faithfulness of the God of the word. And we see, first of all, the declaration of God's faithfulness. I'm not starting in verse 89, but instead I'm starting in verse 90, where the psalmist says in that verse, thy faithfulness continues throughout all generations. The psalmist speaks to God about his personal faithfulness. He can address God, and when he thinks of God, he thinks about a God who is faithful, reliable, and dependable. A God who is our rock of Gibraltar. A God that no matter what the circumstances might be, no matter what the situation is, is a God that we can lean on and depend upon and we can sing confidently that song, leaning on the everlasting arms. That's who God is. The the psalmist proclaims that God is a personal God who is faithfulness. He can speak of faithfulness belonging to God. And he talks about the fact that God's faithfulness is perpetual. It's not just for a second. It's not just for a moment. But he says, thy faithfulness throughout all generations, to all generations. As he writes this verse, he can look back in history and say, God, you've been faithful. As he writes this verse, he can say, God, today you've been faithful. As he writes this verse, he knows that in the future, God will be faithful and dependable and reliable. God's faithfulness is perpetual. It never ceases. It never ends. There will never, ever be a time where you cannot depend upon God. There's never a situation that you cannot trust God. God's faithfulness is declared in this verse, but there's more to it than that. In verse 89, and in the last part of verse 90 and verse 91, we see the demonstration of God's faithfulness. It's more than just a truth. God has gone on record and has demonstrated and has shown that he is faithful. And that is something that no one cannot deny. Any person who reads the Bible can testify to the fact that the Bible declares God's faithfulness all the way from Adam to the end of the book of Revelation. God is a faithful God. 
And so the psalmist provides two evidences, so to speak, of God's faithfulness. First of all, he talks about the fact of the certain word demonstrates God's faithfulness. God's word, his revelation, his special revelation is certain. And that's what the psalmist says in verse 89. He says to God, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled, it's established in heaven. God, your word stands. It's not just a word for today or for tomorrow. It's a word that stands throughout eternity. And he said that God's word stands firmly, that God's word stands forever, and that God's word stands in the firmament of the heavens. It is settled in heaven. And no one has the ability to shake it, to rattle it, or to cause it to fail. The certain word that comes from the mouth of God demonstrates the fact that God is faithful. But not only that, the created world demonstrates the faithfulness of God. We can travel various places and we can marvel at creation. But when you marvel at creation, don't ever forget that creation proclaims that God is faithful and dependable and reliable. If you think for a moment that the God of heaven and earth is not your rock of Gibraltar, if you think that he's not dependable, then just stop and pause and look at the created world. And it should remind you and cause you to fall on your face and proclaim that great is God's faithfulness. Now, as you go through the world and see his creation, it's declaring that God is faithful. And the psalmist talks about the created world. After saying that God's faithfulness continues throughout all generation, he speaks of God as creator, God as sustainer, and God as Lord with regards to his creation. The psalmist says at the end of verse 90, thou didst establish the earth. The, the world didn't come into existence by evolution. The psalmist says, God, you established the earth. You are the creator. You spoke and the world came into existence. He's the creator. And he says, God, you, uh, you established the earth and it stands. He didn't just create it and it just fell apart. Our granddaughter is at the point where she likes playing with these magnets and stuff. And my wife has gotten her a bunch of magnets. She builds these things. And we marvel sometimes. We think maybe she's going to be an architect person because she builds these things. But she gets great delight out of it crashing, <laughs> falling apart. God, when he created the earth, he created the earth not to fall apart, to stand. And the reason the psalmist says that 
God's creation stands. He says, they stand. That means heaven and earth stands in accordance to God's ordinances. That is, God has spoken. God has ordained things. And that's why we don't have this worry about this world blowing up and falling apart. Sovereign God will determine when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. He's in control. You don't have to worry about Russia blowing up the world or the United States. Sovereign God will determine when it happens. He has established the earth. They stand heaven and earth according to his ordinances. And and the psalmist says, all things, all things, he says at the end of verse 91, are thy servants. Earth is the servant of God. Heaven is the servant of God. All of you who are scientific minds and wonders and you know all about science, etc., it stands. Those things are the servants of God. God understands and the psalmist understands that everything in this world, in this universe, is the slave, is the servant of God. They're at his disposal. Now, there are times where those things in the world choose to rebel against God. But the reality is, God says, all things are my servants. And the question you have to ask yourself, are you the servant of God? Heaven bows at his feet. Earth bows at his feet. The sun, moon, and stars bow at his feet. The question is, do you bow? Do you submit? Can God look at you and say, you are my servant? And so the faithfulness of God is declared and also demonstrated. The second thing that I want you to see in the second foundational truth that is so important in this passage is the sufficiency, the sufficiency of the word of God. God's word is sufficient. And that's the emphasis in the rest of our text. That God's word is more than able. The sufficiency of the word of God. That's something that the psalmist believed. And you can read all 176 verses of Psalm 119. And what it will prove and what it will show is that here is a man who believes in the sufficiency of the word of God. That God's word is more than enough no matter what the circumstances and situations of life might be. And so he can talk about God's word keeping his way pure. God's word does that. He can talk about God's word, keeping him from sin, and that's why he treasures it up in his heart that he might not sin against God. 
He can talk about God's word being sufficient to make you wiser than your enemies. He can talk about God's word giving him wisdom more than what the old folks even have. He can talk about God's word being a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. That is, God's word is sufficient to guide him. You know, he doesn't have to go to a, a seance. He doesn't have to read tarot cards. He doesn't have to go read, talk to a fortune teller. The psalmist says, thy word, your word, God, is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. It will guide me and direct me. He believed in the sufficiency of the word of God, that the word of God was more than enough in what he needed in life. In the psalm, as I told you, it proclaims that. But in our text, in verses 92 through 96, it also shows how he believed and trusted in what thus saith the Lord. God's word is sufficient in times of affliction. Now, if you were here last week, you know that life was not easy for the psalmist. It wasn't a life of bliss. He loved God. He loved the word of God. He loved the ways of God. So that meant everything was wonderful. No, no, no. He talks about his persecutors. He talks about how he almost comes to the end of his life. They try to wipe him out and destroy him. So so it doesn't shock us when we come to this text, when he's on the mountaintop and he's giving these two foundational truths that will help us be stable. It doesn't shock us that he brings up the matter of affliction, the matter of suffering. And I'll say it again in case you didn't hear it last week. I'll say it again, that in this Christian life, we will suffer. Paul said to the Philippians at the end of chapter 1 that not only have we been called to salvation, but we've been called to suffer for Christ's sake. That will look differently in individuals' lives, but that is a reality. And the psalmist, godly man that he was, experienced affliction. But he testifies in verse 92. He testifies how God's word was his delight. God's word was his joy. God's word was his cheer. God's word was what caused him to feel good. It it took the lemons of life and made them into lemonade. That's what God's word did for him. And and you know how it is. Sometimes you can be in a funky mood. And maybe it's your dog that snaps you out, comes and licks you. Nobody else will lick you, but your dog will. Or or maybe it's you you see a slam dunk on TV, and all of a sudden you feel good. It's amazing. Sometimes we can be in the worst of attitude and, and just... That person or that individual seems to can get us out sometimes. You know, there are times when I just feel like I want to grumble and complain. You know, I keep talking about my grand, but 
When I see her, I'm a different person. My wife can't do that anymore. <laughs> no, but my granddaughter can make my daughter's here. She can't do that. She's looking sometimes at me and her daughter and wondering, what's going on? Dad doesn't respond to me like that. But my granddaughter just, she comes, you know, I can be in grumpy mood. I can be in a funky mood. And she just comes into my presence and my, my world is different. But, but the thing that should really cause that for me and for you, is the word of God. That's what the psalmist is testifying about. He says, God, thy law is my delight. It's my ice cream. It's my sweet potato pie. And when I eat it, no, it has an emotional impact upon me. I change. And that's what he testified. And he goes on to testify. He says, if it wasn't for your word be my delight. He testifies, I would have perished in my affliction. Things was, were not easy for him. He talks about affliction. And he says that he was capable of perishing, dying in his affliction. Things had gotten so bad and so difficult for him. But, but what saved him, what spared him? It wasn't that God took away the affliction, but God allowed him to endure the affliction. And how did he endure the affliction? The Bible was his delight. And that obviously means that he had to be getting into the word. There had to be Bible intake. There had to be the hearing of the word, the reading of the word, the studying of the word, the memorizing of the word, the meditating on the word. He made it a part of him. (laughs) And as he took in the word, it brought joy and cheer and delight to his life so that he could overcome the affliction. You see, God's word is sufficient to help us overcome affliction. And please don't misunderstand He didn't say that God's word took away the affliction and eliminated it. No, it allowed him to rise above the affliction and to keep on stepping and to keep on going on. God's word is sufficient in times of affliction. When he gets tough, my brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes it can get tough in your own home. No peace between you and your wife and both of your Christians. In times like that, you can come and get marriage counseling, but also make sure the priority, get into the word. The word will do something that the counseling can't do. We can try to resolve issues, but the word will do a work in you that allows you to rise above your circumstances and situations in the afflictions and the hardships and difficulties that you're going through. God's word is sufficient in times of exhaustion. You know, we can get worn out in the Christian life. Sometimes we're burning 
the candle at both ends and we become exhausted. Sometimes it's just outside external things that cause us to wear down. But individuals can become exhausted spiritually and even physically. And the psalmist basically tells us that God's word is sufficient in times like that. You might think, well, I just need to take a nap, get some sleep, get some rest. And I'm not saying don't do that, but don't ignore the word of God. God's word is sufficient in times of exhaustion. It's sufficient in times of spiritual exhaustion. When you're just starting to drag spiritually, kind of like what the psalmist said last week, when it was hard for him to go on, to take another step, when he couldn't sing, I feel like going on. The, the psalmist speaks to that. In verses 93, he talks about God's word being sufficient in times of spiritual exhaustion. We find that he makes a resolution. And this is quite a resolution that he makes. He says in verse 93, I will never forget thy precepts. Now remember, and I say this several times, the psalmist is not talking to you and me. You know, when we're talking to each other, when we're testifying, as my former pastor said, we can easily test a lie. You know, we can talk about, oh, I'll never forget. He's talking to God. He's saying, God, I will never forget your precepts. He's not talking to you. He's not talking to me. God, I will never forget. And when he says that, he's not saying, I'll never forget John 3.16 or I'll never forget John 1.14. He's saying that he will not allow himself no matter what he's going through, to allow himself to push the word of God out of his life. He he will always cling to the word. He will not let his circumstances, he will not let people cause him to shove God's word out of his life. That's his resolution. I will never forget thy precepts. I will cling To your precepts, God, I will never, ever let them go. Why? Why did he make a resolution like that? He says at the end of verse 93, for by them, by your precepts, thou hast revived me. Last Sunday, when we looked at verse 88, As the psalmist was going through the valley of the shadow of death, the last thing that he said was a prayer. He says, revive me. Here, he's not praying, revive me. Here he's saying that your word has revived me. He's saying, God, there's been a history in my life where I've spiritually fainted 
I've lost my energy. I've lost the ability to go on, the strength. It's not there. And I've called out to you in the past, God, and you have answered me. And I can look at my life, the days that I have walked with you, you have revived me at various times in my life. And because of what you have done for me, God, through your word, I'm never, ever, ever going to push your word aside in my life. Because he understands that the word of God has the ability to cause exhausted men and women of God to be revived, to have life, to be rejuvenated, to put spiritual pep in their step. That's what God's word will do, my friends. That the psalmist is not finished. Yes, God's word is sufficient for spiritual exhaustion. It will revive you. But he also points out that God's word is sufficient in times of physical exhaustion. In verse 94, he makes a prayer. But that prayer, that request, is sandwiched by two realities that become the two reasons for his request. The first thing that he says in verse 94 I am thine. Put it in common day vernacular, I'm yours. Sometimes we sing that song, right? I am thine, O Lord. Here the psalmist is saying, God, as I look at my relationship with you, I am owned by you. I'm yours. I am thine, Lord. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to say. To, to, to be able to say to God, I'm yours. I've laid it all at your feet. My, my whole life, my possessions, my family, etc. I'm yours, Lord. Do with me as you please. As Isaiah said, here am I, send me. I'm yours, Lord. What a, a great reminder. No, a a thing that will help you to be stable is that you don't belong to yourself, but you belong to the Lord. He says, I am thine. And, And then he gives another reason at the very end. He says, I have sought thy precepts. He has not only pursued God, but the way you pursue God is by pursuing his word. And so as you look at this man's life, there is evidence, there is proof that he is pursuing the word of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, is there evidence in my life? Can I stand before God and say, God, I am yours. God, I have sought and pursued your precepts. You open up some people's Bible and it's a dust cloud, dust storm. Hadn't been open in a while. It's like it's brand new. And I just want to encourage us. God has designed this book. Yes, it's a massive book, but it's such a sweet book, such a good book. And we won't understand everything in it, etc. But the things that we do understand is sweet 
to the believer. And the psalmist says, God, in pursuing you, I have pursued your word. And then, with these realities in mind, God, I'm yours. God, I have sought your precepts. He makes his request. And it's another one of those short prayers. Remember last Sunday, it was what? Help me. Anybody ever need to cry that out? Help me. (laughs) And now what does he say? Save me. He's not crying out for spiritual salvation. He wants physical deliverance from his persecution. And he takes it to the Lord. God's word is sufficient in times of exhaustion. It's also sufficient in times of torment. We see that in verse 95. Here the psalmist gets particular about his persecution. He just alluded to it in verse 92, but here he says, the wicked wait for me to destroy me. That's his life as a child of God. The wicked are his enemies. And he knows who they are, but can't do anything about it. He says, the wicked, the evil ones, what do they do? They wait for me. They're just looking for the opportunity to, to get me. Keeping their eyes on me, tormenting me, so to speak, as they gaze at my every step. But but the psalmist pictures them as those who are waiting for him. For what purpose? For what goal? To destroy him. I know sometimes we face difficult things, but I don't know. I can't name somebody, anybody. I hope I can't name anybody that's actually waiting on me to destroy me. That is to wipe me out of existence. To kill me. But he can identify more than one person. And he said, they wait for me. It's as if they're trying to torment me. And it's only because he loves God and he loves God's word and loves God's ways. So, so, So how does he respond? Does he retaliate? I'm going to get them before they get me? Does he run away from his persecutors, his persecution and his affliction? No. He, He runs to the word of God. The wicked wait for me to destroy me I shall diligently consider thy testimonies. I'm not going to go after them. I'm not going to put them on blast. I'm not going to run away from them. I'm going to run to the word of God because I know the word of God is sufficient even in my times of torment, even when people are trying to trap me and ensnarl me in the goal of killing me. I shall consider and contemplate 
and think on and meditate on your statutes, your testimonies, the word that speaks about who you are and what you have done. My friends, the word of God is sufficient in times of torment. The psalmist teaches us that, illustrates that, that the wicked only can cause him to be driven to the word and not away from the word. Lastly, I want you to see that God's word is sufficient at all times. It's sufficient in times of affliction, in times of exhaustion. It's sufficient in times of torment. And the list can go on and on and on. But the psalmist said, I'll just simply tell you that God's word is sufficient at all times. That there never, ever will be or is or can be a situation where God's word is not enough. And I hope you know that when we talk about the word of God, we're talking about the God of the word. We're talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. God is sufficient. God is enough. And the way that we know our God is through his word. And so the psalmist provides a contrast. And the contrast is basically between that which is a limit and that which is broad. And he uses his empirical reasoning, his evidence, things that he sees. He says, I've seen a limit to all perfection. And that might sound strange, but he's just simply saying that when it comes to all of the things on earth, I've seen a limit, an end to everything on earth, even things that might be classified as perfect and complete. I've seen an end of it. But he says, guess what? There's something that is boundless. There's something that does not end. There is something that lasts forever. And that is the eternal word of God. He says, thy commandments, God, are exceedingly broad. He says, singularly commandment to mean all of them. The word of God exceedingly broad. Can you, can you expand it any more than that? It's not just broad, but exceedingly broad. It has no limits. It has been eternal from when God first gave it. It's the living and abiding word of God. It was Profitable in the times of Genesis all the way to the times of the book of Revelation. God's word. I don't care what your circumstance is. I don't care what your situation is. God's word is sufficient. Now I know that the devil has convinced some Christians that that just ain't true. I'm going on the book. I'm standing on the word of God. The the psalmist tells us that God's word is sufficient. He didn't need 
a pill. He didn't need some pot. He didn't need some drink. He didn't need a therapist. He needed the word of God. Now, I know, I know that's a hard pill to swallow today. Because we sometimes as Christians just don't believe that God's word is sufficient. That's enough. I need his word plus something else, etc. And I hope you understand what I'm saying. God's word ain't going to do nothing if you got clogged up arteries like me. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. But when it comes to the spiritual life, God's word is sufficient. Christ is enough. Don't let anyone dupe you into thinking that that is not the case. And so the psalmist talks about faithful God and sufficient word. Those are two foundational truths that God is faithful. The God of the word is faithful. And also, Scripture is sufficient. God's word is enough. It's sufficient. That's the other foundational truth. And the point is not just to believe those foundational truths, but to behave as if you believe it. In your practice, in your walk with God, may I encourage you, day in and day out, live, realizing and understanding that God's faithfulness continues to all generations. As you walk and seek to please the Lord, live as if his word is sufficient. Do all that you can to take it in. It will bring joy and cheer to your heart. Do do all that you can to never, ever allow it to escape your thinking. Don't ever forget what thus saith the Lord. Never push it out of your mind when it comes to living your life. Seek the precepts of God. May it be your testimony that you do that as his child. Understand that this word is, is perfect. Uh, and, and it is exceedingly beyond limits. There's nothing, so to speak, that it does not address and cover in one way or the other. Some of you might be wondering, can, can, can I... Go down to Dollar Green or Green Tree or whatever it's called that's selling weed. Can I go there? Open up your book. Find out where your sense of peace is to come from. Open up the book, the Word of God. Instead of slipping and sliding in your walk with God, stand firm. Be stable. Act upon the fact that God is faithful and his word is sufficient. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture. Help us to think on it, to meditate on it, to breathe it, to live it, to realize that you are faithful God and your word is sufficient. May these two truths anchor us and undergird us as we seek to live our lives for your glory and honor. May we not only believe in faithful God, sufficient word, but may we live it. May we act upon these foundational truths. May we live lives for your glory and honor. We realize that none of this is possible apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for those under the sound of my voice who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ alone for salvation. And Lord, if there are those who have not done that, may this be the day of salvation. And may you put them on the path where their lives are anchored by the fact that you are faithful and your word is sufficient and that they can live a life of stability in a slippery world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.